utter nitty gritty of a good teacher. You've got to be able to break stuff down into the right size bits for the person you're working with. First of all, you have to have an activity that they want to do that maybe they didn't know they wanted to do it. But once they get into it, they're finding this is something that I want to get involved in. Welcome to Inspiring Voices, the podcast of the Sing Up Foundation. We believe in harnessing the power of singing to improve mental health and well-being for children and young people. I'm Baz Chapman, and in this first series, I'll be speaking with inspirational singers, music leaders, researchers, and other specialists to consider the unique role of singing, songwriting, voice exploration, and creative music making in transforming young people's mental health and well-being. Inspiring Voices, a new podcast from the Sing Up Foundation. My guest is Mark Bick, who is a renowned and highly experienced community musician and trainer. Most of his working life uh, has been based in Gloucestershire, particularly starting up what has now become the Music Works. He's also worked in the West Midlands, developing and leading training courses, including the Quench Arts New Horizons course, which has been running for nearly 20 years, which makes me feel old. The core of Mark's work has been with young people who struggle with various barriers, including those excluded from school and who are looked after or have disabilities. Mark is a board member of SoundSense, the UK professional association for community musicians. And he still plays in gigs, although he says as not often as he would like to. And he loves learning new instruments. Well, Mark, you you and I have known each other uh, since my days working in the West Midlands with an organisation called Music Leader. Um, and you've overseen in your career um, a real development in the world of uh, community music. So how do you think community music has grown and developed over the past few decades? I think it's matured a huge amount and it's the last 15, 20 years that it really got a focus on the things it can do and the things it can do well. And I think one of the current big issues is well-being. And we've realised how powerful the work we do in the well-being area is across all that. You know, I go to a community choir every Wednesday and last Wednesday I went feeling rubbish. I had one of those days and I came out of it with my well-being just sky high. And, and I think this, that applies across all sorts of situations and sectors. And I think that was always there, right, from the you know, Frankie Armstrong, who was doing that you know, before community music really being coined as a term. Um, but I think in the early years, I remember back in the 90s, people tended to find community music by what we were. We weren't formal education. We weren't school. We weren't telling people what they had to do. We weren't imposing rotation on people. And now we've got far more relaxed about those things and focus much more positively on all the things we can do and can do well, which I think is great. And what evidence have you seen? I mean, apart from your own experience there of a community choir, working with, with young people, perhaps those in particularly challenging circumstances, what kinds of things can singing do for them? Over and over again, people with low confidence, people who don't believe that they can achieve um, people whose you know sense of well-being is is not so great. Just that whole process, singing and writing songs as well. I think writing songs is such a powerful part of it. And you know, just just last night, I was I had a reel come through on my feed of a weddings band that's got three young musicians. I remember them when they were like 11, 12, 
and they're now you know late 20s mid 30s uh, fabulous tight you know really and and but i saw them you know quite a few of them went to university from from to do music from from families where no one had ever been to college before um and then you know very troubled kids who's not not those particular ones but other ones who you know, just that sense of being able to achieve something and be able to have a voice you know all those things it's, it's a wide spectrum of, of stuff that it that it can do for people that's it's been quite well researched by others what about the uh this this sort of aspect of trauma so young people who as you said you know are troubled or may have something in their past which means that their their yes their well-being in life is is not as good as it it should be what we we use the phrase trauma informed what does trauma informed practice mean i wouldn't say i'm a, i'm an expert on it i think most of the trauma i've done i've done a lot with people referral units so most of the stuff which could be labeled as trauma is kind of really bad experiences of education of learning and bad starts in life you know caused by stuff in families so yes that's that is trauma isn't it um and I think what I've seen a lot of in people referral units is young people who've struggled with learning, maybe from 10 years before. You know, when we see them in year 10, maybe they, they've struggled with learning for 10 years at that stage. And they've found all sorts of strategies just to avoid learning. Learning is painful. Learning means failure. Learning means feeling shit about yourself. So I'm just going to avoid it. And they have brilliantly developed strategies for avoiding learning <laughs> from from the aggressive to the comical to the climbing on the roof hiding in the cupboard to just blanking um a whole you know getting banned finding ways to get banned you know it's very skilled at it uh, and i yeah i say i i quite often say to them you you say you're not any good at learning but you seem to have learned these things really well <laughs> once i've got have a relationship with them, it's a bit confrontational yeah. at the early stage but once, once we can have a laugh about it they, they it's different perspective then music then engages hmm. and if, and if you're skilled and you have to have you have to have the skills to make the barriers achievable to break it down into steps you have to have the flexibility to connect with the things that really motivate you potentially you might you might find a young person who is yeah particularly resistant say in a pupil referral unit some somebody might think well singing is probably the last thing that you might ask that young person to do or or actually get them to do so what 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 are the tactics to get or the strategies to get from that point of them avoiding anything from you because you're an adult asking them to do a thing to a point where they are expressing themselves in a transformational way the starting point is you only try doing that i i would only try doing that with people that have some desire to to make music or, or to sing but that's a surprisingly high number and, and often you know, again over and over again people have young people particularly have these secret lives and the more troubled their lives are spared the more often you find they write reams of lyrics or poetry completely secretly and quietly and have often wondered whether they could put that into music or they sing in their room uh, i've had 
I remember one lovely lad who, you know, he was desperate to record a particular, quite old-fashioned and soppy song for his mum, who he was separated from. And, and so that, and there is, yeah, we've got an education system that likes to play it safe. If you're struggling, let's just focus on the maths and English and leave the other things. If you've got disabilities, let's focus on your life skills. Let's make sure that you can cope with going to the shop and buying something. If you're female, you can cope with managing your period, okay? Or, yeah, th those kind of, I've, I've had that say, said to brilliant musicians that I've worked for. Don't, don't bother with music. Um, you need to focus on these things. And actually, it's the, the things that are a bit dangerous, the things that are a bit, that are close, that are personal, that have the most power. If the voice is the most personal of instruments because it's, it's, is, you know, all, a lot of instruments have a lot to do with our body, but voice more than anything. Um, so it therefore, you know, speaks most deeply. And, and it's also the most democratic instrument because you, you don't need money to, to have a voice and be able to sing. So there's lots of very deep and important reasons why singing is a hugely powerful thing. So tell me a bit more about the, the songwriting aspect. Uh, and how you've seen that have, uh, I think you're saying that's particularly important in this work. Yes, it, it allows, it, it very simply allows people to, to say stuff, say stuff that they want to say. Young people are people, they have a whole range of, of fears. They face a lot of challenges in their life, they want to talk about it. Um, and and those, those things are important. There's so much... So much of school doesn't touch upon stuff that matters, that is in the mind of young people day day in, day out. You know, am I, am I wanted? Do I belong anywhere? Am I safe? You know, those fundamental questions. And those can, those can all be explored. And my experience is you, there's no, you don't often need to lead anything. You just facilitate and it comes out. And sometimes you need to, negotiate and moderate a bit yeah i think sometimes you have to remind you do you really want do you want to make that public is that risky what might the impacts be if you want we can just keep that between between unless it's something that's safeguarding or something like that we can but we can keep it confidential if you want that's up to you and that gradually enabling young people to express and then think about what and how they share and what the impacts of sharing. These are just huge. They touch upon the guts of life, which so much of education doesn't touch on. So with that comes a lot of responsibility if you're you're you know, you're almost managing that person's ability to be able to deal with some of their most deep rooted feelings. So how do you avoid it being therapy? Well, I think that an awful lot in life, like the community choir I go to, is therapeutic. Mm. Um, but obviously we're not there in a clinical role and I'm, I'm not, I'm not a music therapist. I'm not clinically trained. Um, we work in partnership with those who are, we work in partnership and we communicate with senior managers. We don't do it alone. So we discuss boundaries. We think about boundaries. Um, I, I'm fairly flexible about boundaries but I wouldn't do it on my own and I would discuss it and I would make sure 
the senior managers, my line managers, and the place I'm working and the people I'm working for know fully about what I'm doing and what risks. So I would risk assess, and and I would wouldn't hesitate to. But I, I just find if I'm led by the young people, most. Most people, adults and young people who struggle, say, with mental health, they're quite expert on managing, managing their, and obviously teenagers, it, you know, it wobbles and it, and, and I haven't worked so much with younger children. Um, but listen to them and observe and discuss, be real, you know, don't, don't pretend and, and just be alert and aware of risks and don't do it alone. So, and, and then I, th and yeah, I've worked in partnership with a music therapist in a special school and that's great. We just talk about someone and they would pick things up in their, in their sessions uh, or, or, or give me advice on, on how to set boundaries. So do you think that there's, there's, there's potential for more of that kind of thing to happen and better crossover between Oh, a huge. music practitioner and a therapist. Yeah, there's, there's been daft opposition, and, and that's changed. That's yet another thing as we've matured in community music as a profession. And I think you know, teachers in schools are just, again, very hugely, but the biggest barrier for teachers in schools is just pressure of time and number of children they have to deal with. Um, but for forever, as long as we've had education, teachers have addressed well-being and got alongside young people and sometimes been a bit flexible about boundaries in order to be with someone and, and make a difference but again the, the rules you don't do it alone you don't do it without telling other people you trust and you you have to make judgments about what's manageable and just you know certainly with teenagers i'm i'm honest i i try and i've learned to be more honest I don't have the capacity. I can't help you with this, but I can talk with you to someone who can. Um, once you've got that depth of, it's so important to respect that depth of relationship and making music together. It is slightly dangerous. We, the harsh reality is we have had more problems with safeguarding issues between staff and, and young people in music than you get in other subjects. And that's because music breaks down barriers. And so all the positive things do create more risks. We just have to take a, a lot of care. We have to talk to people. We have to be sensible. Um, but that doesn't mean not taking risks. It just means informed risks and shared risk uh, and carefully thought out risk. And you know, I say carefully thought out, but if I'm honest, sometimes yeah, I take a risk on the spot with the young people about letting them talk about something very personal or risky. Um, I'm quite well trained up in safeguarding. I've done a lot of safeguarding, so I've got a strong sense of where the boundaries are and would just be very straight. I need to tell someone about that. I can't keep that secret. I can't keep that quiet. Um, but the, these, the young people, that, the ones that have the more dangerous lives, know this stuff inside out. Um. And obviously the risks that they play with you as well to push the boundaries. And and there's a there's a dynamic, yeah, there's a there's a natural childhood dynamic. As long as soon as someone can be trusted as you, as your parent, my own son, or 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 as a parental like figure, 
you say, do they really care about me? Are they just do it because their job? How much can I push them? And when I reach the edge, and that process can be pretty tricky, but we need to expect to, we need to be informed um, and um, expect some of this stuff, but also have the team behind us to, to manage it and deal with it. So what's what's the appeal? What's the reward of working in, in what is obviously a, a really challenging environment and where you must feel pretty tired after a day's work um i don't I, yeah i don't do much the thing that wears me out is is management and, and admin and, oh, and to, 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 to that actually that generally this kind of stuff is quite energizing there are times the, tra- the trauma um and and yeah that sense of wanting to rescue someone who's in a horrible situation and feel power, feeling powerless too, um, and it wouldn't be right to any. You wouldn't be able to anyway. Um, so some, I think, the same way as music therapists have have supervision. I think any music leader that's and teacher that's working in this area needs to have supervision. That's someone that is fully informed in terms of counselling, therapy, that those kind of things, who you can say. Working with this kid, I, I, I wake up thinking about the, the person because of the traumatic in their life. I need to talk. You need to have someone you can talk to. And I think organizations working in this and schools need to make sure that staff have someone they can talk to confidentially, separate from the discipline system or anything like that. Let's uh, let's go on to talk a bit about the workforce because you've you've a lot of experience as a trainer of uh, community yeah. practitioners. First of all, just tell me what particularly in the field of children and young people's mental health and well-being which can cross over from uh a, you know a, a young person in a in a privileged uh with a privileged young life right through to someone with in terrible circumstances what are the attributes of a successful practitioner who's working in this field the first thing is um you need to be have a comfortableness in yourself if you're tr- if you're trying to put on a persona and pretend to be someone other than you are, um, if you're not reasonably secure in, in who you are and how you are in your strengths and your weaknesses, then that makes you one. It makes you vulnerable, but two, I th- I think that my experience is young people who have had traumatic times. They have had often had social worker after social worker, all sorts of professions involved. They have such powerful, to put it bluntly, bullshit detectors, um, and they will see through you if you, if you're not uh, able to be authentic. Um, and none of us can do that perfectly, um, and we may be better some days than others. And I think yeah, that doesn't mean yeah that you still keep that. It doesn't mean it's appropriate to dump your rubbish on the young person. That would never be right. We still need to be the grown-up in the situation. Um, but but we need to be able to be real and be honest. And that breaks. Once young people could suss out that, that's, that you are that, of such a, a huge variety of people who are huge, extrovert, introvert, all sorts of different personalities, all sorts of different kinds of music kinds of you know people say to me oh i don't think i don't know if i can work with young people because i'm not brilliant with technology or i i don't do this or i don't do that 
I think most of that's irrelevant or less relevant um, if if we can just be. You know, young people are desperate for someone who, who... Now, obviously, they're more interested in working with us if we can enable them, if we've got the technical or, or musical or whatever skills to enable them to do the thing that they want to do. So that's a meeting point in, in social pedagogy. We call that the, the common third. Um, so that's that's critical. And if we can get better at that, those if there's some of those things we can develop, that's great. Um, and there's, so there's lots. So then there are just being a good teacher. So in my definition, the utter nitty gritty of a good teacher, you've got to be able to break stuff down into into the right size bits for the person you're working with. Yeah, first of all, you have to have an activity that they want to do, that they want to. That maybe they didn't know they wanted to do it, but once they get into it, they're finding this is something that I want to get involved with. Um, so, so being able to explain it clearly, have a language. So, if you're lost in jargon and you use jargon that makes no sense to the young person that's in front of you, that won't work. You've got to have those skills to break it into bits, explain it clearly, and then give positive feedback. So these are fundamental teaching skills. And I, I say to the people I train, if you go to a really posh school where kids are really well behaved and there's really good discipline, you can get away without having these skills because the kids will just behave anyway. But actually, in exactly that school, they would do far better if you have your feedback skills, your explanations, your breaking down into steps right, and you've got that stuff right. So I, we, the course I do, we spend a lot of time just focusing on getting that stuff right. You can add a lot of fancy stuff, but if you haven't got that right, you get a lot of trouble. And then observing, being observant with your ears, with your eyes, um, you know, pay attention to body language, listening to the words with your brain, understanding, thinking about what is someone saying to me? What, what does that mean? What am I seeing from them? What am I hearing from them? So musically and words, and just really paying attention to that. And I think them the, being a reflective practitioner, so all that stuff you take in, that feedback you get from your student, from the, your group, individual group you're working with, if when you get stuck, you, you write it down, you, you, you reflect on it, or you have someone that you talk with about it. You know, pra pragmatically, as a community musician, if you can do, if you get good at reflecting in your head in the car, if you're having to drive here, there, and everywhere, that becomes more efficient. But yeah, what is going on for this young person? What are all those signs telling me? And what does that mean for, for our next session? Or where yeah. we go overall? That's a lot going through your mind when you are also in the process of making music and leading the making of music. Yes. So a bit yeah. of multitasking, I think. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is a lot. And um, And for goodness sake, don't play an instrument that you can't play without thinking about it. <laughs> Okay. So, yeah, you know, I can take a guitar in and I can play my guitar and I I can, you know, do the basics, do the stuff that I do without ever having to think of. I would never, yeah, you know, I would never I wouldn't use a piano or a keyboard because although I could play piano, I have to think about it. Because <laughs> you've got to pay attention. Yeah, so behavior, so strategy I didn't talk about strategies for managing preempting. One of the things about behavior is an issue and you can't pretend it's not. Um but a good teacher can see it coming and change direction, change tack. 
so that it never happened. And you think, why are there these teachers that mysteriously never having problems with behavior? And it, it's just they can see it coming and they change tack. And that applies from tiny little people, you know, tiny children through to, to adults. So is this, uh, are these things that are, that you uh, are sort of innate amongst people who have, have sort of got got the gift for working in this field or, or can it be learned, do you think? I think that the only thing, the only two things that have have to be there as prerequisites for someone who's going to work in this territory is wanting to do it, caring, caring about people and having that um, emotional commitment, which makes it... So I, in terms of working with people with disabilities, I've had people say to me, I find it too disturbing. All looked after children. I say, okay, I'm not going to force you to work in this sector. Actually, caring enough, having enough empathy for it to hurt and be uncomfortable is actually good. But let's work out how we manage that. That's how we make so that so caring enough to be able to do it is is obviously not caring so much that you're paralysed by it. And then musicality having some musicality that you can share that's relevant to the young people. Those are the two basic things. I think all the rest are skills that could be learned. And some of us come, you know, my dad happened to be a counsellor and I and did, I remember when I was 14, I did, uh, uh, went on a course that he did, led of about group dynamics and things like that. So I came in with a lot of this stuff that I, you, you pick up, people don't realise how much they pick up from, parents. I was, I was talking to a student I've got at the moment, her parents and family are all youth workers. And you pick up stuff from your background. But if you haven't had that background, then you can pick it up in other ways. You're the best, you learn an awful lot on the job. And I, and I think you're know, that breaking down into the right size, those fundamental teaching skills, they're en eminently learnable. Um, and, and if you're watching, if you're observing, then I've I make mistakes all the time. I make horrendous mistakes. I remember a lad we were doing ukulele and playing um Rock Around the Clock, I think. He was about eleven, eleven year old in the pupil referral unit. And he was going great. He was doing brilliantly. I thought, Oh, this is this is great. Let's write the lyrics down and, and put the chords on top. Big mistake. He was highly dyslexic and wrote the chords backwards, was so traumatised by the experience, he would never play the ukulele game. I actually had to shift and we did music tech from that on. Huge mistake that I made by just assuming, not knowing, um, and not thinking before I, in my excitement, charged on. So that, you know, we make mistakes, we learn from them. And I suspect if I hadn't been carried over with my own excitement, I might have seen a cloud on his face before we before we got to the point where he was traumatised by it. Now, do you think a, a, a practitioner, uh, I suppose in addition to their reflection on their practice, how do they understand uh, how successful they've been or how do they understand the outcomes of what they've, of the work that they've done? I'd say most, for me, mostly I understand it just by seeing and hearing the good people. So, you know, a girl in people refer you know, I thought who you know, her first lesson she got halfway through singing um Ed Sheeran's A train, got one note wrong, 
swore at me, threw the piece of paper across the room and stormed out. <laughs> it's triggered swear words. Um, and, and the breakthrough was when she came back, I, uh, rather than telling her off for swearing, I, I said, I'm glad you cared enough about it to, to get upset that you care about music. And, I, and I'm glad that you've got a good enough musical ear that you could hear that you sung one note wrong. And my, yeah. You said, right. She like stared at me like I was completely bonkers because she thought I was going to tell her off about the swearing. Um, and yeah, and I, according to the PRU rules, I should have, but I, I was good terms with the, with the boss. And we, we, we knew that the breakthroughs were more important than always following the rules to the letter. Um, and she knew what the rules were. She would. I don't think she. I don't think she ever swore again with me. Oh, she might occasionally have had the odd swear word slip out. I didn't notice them. But when five, six, oh, maybe a month or so, a couple of months later, uh, it's the been a half term holiday. She came back. She'd recorded six tracks of songs that we'd been working on, and some we hadn't. With some of them, some mate of her mum's in the studio in, in his house. So that that was my feedback. She's she sang, and I listened to them, and they were spot on. So their achievement, their, she did, she went on to do Arts Award as well. Um, but their achievement, changes in them and maturity in them. So, yeah, that's the stuff that matters most to me. And, and, and I think the real evaluation, and I, and I haven't, haven't caught up with her for a while. I do know her mum and the pub she used to work with. I'm, I'm in a rural area, so everyone knows everywhere. But, um, yeah, seeing them 10 years later, doing stuff and we don't do enough five ten year follow-up i think maybe it's a feature of getting old that you could see people many many years on but yeah i know quench charts i work with they they i'm just doing a case study for sound sense about someone who started as a participant uh, at 15 having she was she had mental health difficulties in a special school uh, no, in mainstream school, told the music didn't matter. Went to a quench activity, quench wavelength. Started doing stuff from there. Started off working with them with the Mac, and his uh, Midlands Art Centre in Birmingham, and and this really de- developed. Yeah, she's just a great music leader now. She's a good artist and brilliant singer, and and uh, she came across technology through quench, and yeah, listen listen to her reels online. Of, of of her sampling stuff and singing over the top of it and it's powerful. It's professional level stuff. So that's yeah, that's what matters to me. I, I'm afraid I am much paper time for paperwork and things. So talk to Simon Glenister at Noe Solution if you want stuff about proper evaluation. Um, you mentioned uh, Sound Sense there, which is the the professional association. Um, why why does community music need a professional association? Just tell us a bit more about SoundSense. It's been going a very long time, so it's 30 years on. Um, I think if we develop all this stuff in isolation without talking to each other, we won't grow as fast. We, won't, we need the support of each other. Um, when you're working freelance, it's quite isolated. Um, or most of the organisations in community music are fairly small with limited resources so that there are some bigger ones as well but we can we're much like anything you're stronger together than separate because and learning this is you know learning and pushing the profession forward getting better there's always space to get better at what we do and if we communicate and support each other 
and we need, need new people coming in. And those new people, I think the Arts Council recently have recognised that those early stage post-training, when practitioners then are launching out um, and at their first few years, that's when people most need support. Um, and people working in the formal education sector, if they can link up with with those of us in community music and cross-fertilisation between sectors, you need an organisation, I think, to enable that. If bits will happen on the ground and, and also and sing up, do great stuff um, uh, in networking and things, but but it's it's good to have something focused. So um, uh, you've a lot of a lot of experience of of trading, and there may be people listening to this podcast who are um, either starting out in a, a career or they're they're existing music practitioners who want to know more about um, working in more challenging contexts or understanding connecting their singing and music making with mental health and well being. First of all, just uh, can you explain a bit about what what training to be a community musician actually looks like and people say to me over and over again that that they yeah they do teach training they do a course but then it's the kind of on the job learning afterwards it is you know i i think we need an apprentice more of an apprenticeship model um i I don't want to undermine what the people in he do and i think that higher education I, i think that's good but um uh to quench it's because it's a delivery organization that that is running projects um we you know work alongside people who are and we do the certificate in music education cme from trinity guildhall um and so, so the so it's practical very practical we deliver we talk about stuff we discuss stuff but we also they're do we're you know, so most the most powerful learning comes when we have a discussion in the in the training sessions about what happened yesterday for one of our practice, one of our people on our course in their setting, um, and discuss how. And we we you know, one of them was doing supply teaching in a school, and we were discussing behaviour management in that context. We had a very um, interesting discussion about what happens if if you. Um, are an artist yourself and the kids you work with get get online and find the stuff that you did and start kind of hanging around your classroom because they really like what you did as a t- um, when you were a teenager and things like that. So, you know, just a vast, vast variety of, of issues that we discuss and uh, and deal with. Um, managing your managers, you know, if you've got manager whether they're perfect or not, how you uh, actually deal with your manager and communicate with your manager. So it's 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 practical. It, the, those kind of basics I went through earlier, we root it in that. That's the rooting of it. Um, this, we do the CME. Um, and I think the bottom line is any bit of ch- training is just part of a, a larger professional development journey that carries on all through someone's life. You know, that it's it's been said many times, but it it's it's true. You know, to be any good in in any profession, you have to carry on learning. I don't think any of us want surgeons or GPs who feel oh, I've I've had enough of learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um and uh so what's uh what what's the future? Do you see community music 
changing or evolving further over coming years, coming decades? Yes, I think we I think we need to evolve our training further. We need to link the HE people and the people doing it in the community. I think we need to develop those links. We need more resources for training. Uh, we need more. Um, we need to continue to diversify. I think sound sense we've got challenges in racial diversity, you know, ethnic diversity. I don't think we've. I think quite a lot of people are doing community music and not recognize not using that label. And they're perfectly entitled not to use that label, but I think there's a lot. If we can find ways to connect with each other and learn from each other, I think that that would be good. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's so many things. Uh, the, the stuff I was talking about about supervision and mentoring. I think if we can have mentoring going on for people and available, I have wondered about whether we could provide kind of crisis. And, you know, if you, when you're freelance, you're very isolated. Um, but I think there's also we, we certainly sound sense and the community music sector. We are still not linking up enough as organisations. There's organisations that within them have got a lot of powerful learning and have learned a huge amount of stuff about how to do things well, and we're not getting together and talking about that. Um, and and we have had. You know, more than a decade, and then COVID on top, when it's become it's become financially and then practically with COVID more difficult to get together. But but online doing Zoom that's open stuff which we couldn't do before. SoundSense has a monthly online gathering that's open to everybody, and that you know that's a powerful, very simple, powerful thing. I think I'd like to see us more connected, and and this a real seriousness about the, the need to learn from one another and and obviously the stuff that Singap Foundation are doing about um, voice and mental health and, and working with that that's that's part of that whole move to to that's that needs to continue to increase the quality and depth and standard of what we do uh, so to finish Mark um you're your most or one of your most inspiring vocal moments so this can be from at any point in your life something that has really stuck with you a very early experience of me in a youth project in cardiff in the light 80s and again two girls singing sweet dreams are made of this in harmony and i i programmed yeah this is the very early stages in the late 80s of having um computers and things um and uh, yeah, I programmed the backing for it, and then then performing it. So that that's a very early going right back and seeing that that getting that harmony right for "Sweet Dreams Are Made by This" by New Mix. So yeah, that, no, it's a great song. An early stage. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mark, that's it's so interesting hearing about your work, and and I hope that there will be people who who might be inspired to go into the the world of working with uh, music and uh, and and working with some of the young people who haven't had the best chances in life, uh, and and seeing if there's a way that music can uh, can unlock things for them um, in a way which can be very rewarding to be a part of, as you said. Uh, so, Mark, thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. I would my best is don't be frightened of it. Just make sure you got the help around you. And sometimes it's just like lighting the blue touch paper on explosive. Just yeah, you with so many of these young people, you know, they're just waiting for it to be connect. Uh, it's such a rewarding thing to do. 
This is Inspiring Voices, the podcast of the Sing Up Foundation. Join us for the rest of the series on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts and other major platforms. You can also watch the video of each episode on the Sing Up Foundation YouTube channel. Inspiring Voices, a new podcast from the Sing Up Foundation.